everyone. Welcome back to another exciting episode of the Forge by Trust podcast. I'm your host, Robin Dreek, and I'm the founder and CEO of People Formula, a leadership and communication strategies company, as well as retired head of the FBI Counterintelligence Behavioral Analysis Program, where my job for my entire career was recruiting Russian spies. This is extremely exciting because this is the first time we're putting together a three-part series entitled My Enemy, My Friend. So let's talk about the origin of this and what we're going to be chatting about. So the episode you're first going to watch here, I first recorded a number of months ago, and it's with a good friend, Jack Barsky. And Jack Barsky is a former deep undercover Russian KGB officer that was recruited, and he spied on the United States and the West during the Cold War. Next up, on my next episode, we're going to be talking with Dan Hoffman, a retired senior clandestine services officer for the CIA and a world-renowned expert in global political and geopolitical challenges, and of course myself. The three of us, we sit on a panel routinely with the Joint Counterintelligence Training Center where we are asked a myriad of questions from our diverse background and me as an FBI counterintelligence behaviorist, Dan as a clandestine services officer, and Jack as a deep undercover guy. And what we're going to be chatting about during our episode together is these three topical areas. One, Russian intelligence. Two, active measures in propaganda. And three, Vladimir Putin himself. So for this first episode, sit back, relax, and enjoy the conversation I have with Jack. Oh, and don't forget, before you go, if you could like this episode, like the podcast, and please please, please leave a review because we can actually change the world one person at a time. All we have to do is share information with them and understand the world around us. So again, sit back, relax, and enjoy this exciting first of a three-part series called My Enemy, My Friend. Hello, Jack. You there? There he is. (laughs) I don't typically read these kinds of books. And so after we chatted with Eric Cunley on his podcast, my other friend, Jack Schaefer, I'd bought your book before we did that one, but I, I had put it down. And then when we reconnected, you know, last week, uh-huh. um, I was like, you know, it's like, hey, I got this thing. Hey, let's, you know, get him on, you know, to, to share since I do author interviews and you're an author and see no. if he wants to do that. So I literally uh, plowed through your book in about two and a half, three days. So I am done. And, <laughs> and I wasn't kidding. I, I posted on my LinkedIn page that yeah, I, I saw that incredibly intriguing because it was interesting too, Jack, just because I just finished Victor Frankl's book on man's meaning for life, which he wrote after his experiences in Auschwitz during mm. concentration camp. So I, I've gotten this recent resurgence of this of this curiosity about World War II and post-World War II. And here you come along with your amazing story from East Germany. Because, you know, from my background, I'm used to seeing books on KGB and, you know, the SVR and the GRU from a Russian standpoint. Yours was completely different to me. And I had yeah. heard about it from the old time guys on my squads in New York, you know, working the different Eastern Bloc countries. So I found yours incredibly intriguing. So thank you. I had a very limited view of an insider into a rather small uh, sliver of what the KGB did, which is, you know, undercover illegal. And, And they shared with me just as much as they thought I would need to be functional. The rest, a lot of the things that uh, I 
now know to be true, I sort of pieced together based on, you know, some pieces of the puzzle and uh, how they clearly it was, it was evident to me that, you know, after I, after I had some time to reflect that as competent they were in, in, uh, in the tradecraft, they were just as incompetent in understanding the country that they spied upon, the United uh, States, and, and capitalism per se. I mean, they were guessing all over the place and, and gave me nothing but really bad advice. <laughs> <laughs> I got that sense, you know, when reading the book, you know, some of the some of the training they gave you when you showed up, you know, first in Canada, you know, the practice being a U.S. Yeah. You know, citizen. And then when you came to the United States and I love this, your story about hitting Chicago for the first time and oh, it, going, going to the phone book and picking the absolutely worst horrible hotel. You are so lucky you did not get mugged. <laughs> Absolutely. I to, even today, I don't understand somebody back there in the KGB thought it was really clever to take a flight that has a to to my hometown Toronto that has a stopover someplace in the US why right. <laughs> I mean you still have to cross the border show a passport and as a matter of fact since my the passport and there's a there's a lot of uh, reasons that I that I now can figure out that that should have made me fail one of them would have been a very small discussion with a border agent who would then realize that I don't have a Canadian accent <laughs> right. you know, things not, like that yeah not too uh, sharp here's another one that just occurred to me lately so my according to my birth certificate my my father's name was elisha lee that's a that's an orthodox jew all right so we killed him off in my cover story we made him die at the age of two that gave me some problems with with a doctor because we made him have a heart attack and and the doctor was worried that you know i I might be in danger of <clears throat> of heart failure, but anyway. So and then I grew up with a German-speaking mother to sort of explain the residual accent that I had, but there was not an iota paid attention to religion. And in those days, in the fifties, late forties, fifties, everybody was religious. Right. Whether they were Jewish or Christian, I didn't have a clue. I, I mean, it, it, it was a stroke of luck that I my first job was where I had exposure to a lot of people on a regular basis was in, in, in a messenger office. And these people didn't know, they didn't care. And I was able to slowly, slowly assimilate. You know, it, <laughs> I, sh I should have failed multiple times in a big way. <laughs> Jack? Give a little bit of background about yourself and we'll take it from there. I have so many questions. I know we're not going to get to in 40 or 45 minutes. That's why I am so appreciative of our friendship because I want to keep talking a long time for a long while. So, you know, and, and you're from my end, you uh, have a phenomenal background because, you know, I've, I've been forever interested in, in how the brain works and how humans operate. And so, so this is what, what you were doing sort of in, in the FBI. By the way, I, I once was given uh, a number of psychological tests by a couple of uh, very, very well-known psych psychologists. Two days, including the ink blot thing and everything. And I still have not, not been able to get the results of that. <laughs> it's, it's, it's top secret. What's in Barsky's mind? Anyway, <laughs> background. Background. I was born in 1949 in, in, a east, in a far eastern corner of uh, East Germany. 
It was that far east that my, my genetic test has me only half German, half Czech, and half Polish. A quarter oh. Czech, quarter Polish. So, but that what is neither here nor there. It was a very, you know, East Germany was very run down, impoverished. It was never a, a, a stronger part of Germany. And uh, when the Russians came in, this, the Soviet troops came in, they uh, destroyed everything on the way in and then took whatever wasn't destroyed on, uh, for reparations on the way out. So I, I was born into abject poverty. And I can remember, you know, being poor meant having terrible things to eat things that didn't taste well. Meat on Sunday, maybe. Then we, when uh, the school food was sometimes so bad that, you know, we, we had our pots attached to our backpack and, and, and a spoon because we would be fed uh, uh, food at lunchtime. Uh, well, the school, sometimes we just threw it away. It was that bad. One thing, though, I never went hungry. It was just like really, really lousy food. And I got, in, in one way, I got lucky because my parents were both teachers and teachers were early on very well treated by the communists. 1949, I was born in, in 49 in May. In October, the G German Democratic Republic was formed. Uh, the word democratic really doesn't belong there. It should have been German Socialist Republic. It was under the leadership of a communist and a radical wing of the Communist Party. And so my parents, we, as far as housing, we were in, a, in really good shape. I grew up in two different uh, buildings and we had apartments in, in, in school buildings in, in both cases. So we, it was solid. There, there was it was warm in the winter, and it was not too too hot in the summer. And so that that part was taken care of. And, and then I, you know I went to school, kindergarten, elementary school, and right right from the start there was nothing but ideological brainwashing. I mean, we learned about the the greatness of Karl Marx and Lenin in kindergarten. You know. In, in language that little kids can uh, understand. And it went on and on and on. So it, it, that, it was very smart. I mean, the, the communists knew that uh, they had to raise a generation that was uh, buying into the communist ideal. And quite frankly, our group, the, the, the ones that marched forward with me, we were mostly convinced communists with minor exceptions. And those minor exceptions were eliminated. They were not, they, like, for instance, we went to, when we went to college, university, there were some fellows who just did not buy the party line and they were iced. They were, you know, put, put into the margins someplace. So when I was recruited by the KGB, I was 20, uh, 21 years old. I, I was, I was ready to go and fight for the good, fight the good fight to free the working class all over the world and build the communist paradise on earth. Yeah, yeah, I, I found it really interesting, you know, because again, if you don't really take a deeper dive in certain periods of history and how ideologies come about, uh, you don't understand it. And so what I found really interesting in the book was that the communists, the Soviets equated, at least the language you used was that it was that East Germany was anti-fascist of you know, Hitler and the capitalist supporters of fascism of the you know which was the United States so they actually equated fascism and the United and capitalism all in the same kind of breath and yeah i tell you what let me let me just chime in here yeah they had, they had some ammunition that uh, was un unfortunately provided 
partially by the United States, but also by West Germany. First of all, on, on our side, you know, the communists, uh, the communist party in the 30s until Hitler took power, fought the Nazis in the streets, physically. It was the only party that did that. The, their leader, Ernst Thälmann, was executed in a concentration camp. Some of his you know, fellow party members wound up in, in the underground or in Moscow in exile. And those guys came back and took over East Germany. So these, these were bona fide Nazi fighters. Erich Honecker, who was the head of East Germany for a long time, he spent time in jail in Germany before they let him out and he disappeared. So on, on, on the other side of the equation, I mean, the, the, the biggest mistake I believe the United States made was to, to allow the head of military intelligence under Hitler on, on the Eastern Front, General, General Reinhard Galen, to, to be free and, and co-opt his entire organization. The Galen organization then became the equivalent of the CIA in West Germany. My God, there was a Nazi at high levels uh, of, of the West German government. And there was, an, there was also a, a chancellor in, in West Germany, Kurt Georg Kiesinger, who also was, had been a member of the Nazi party. So <laughs> we, we had some facts that right. were incontrovertible saying, well, you know, there the Nazis are over there and we are the Nazi fighters. You know, it, I, to me, that was an unforced error committed by the United States. They thought that the Galen organization had, was too valuable to put in jail. And because they had all this information about this, the, the, the Soviet military, which would get outdated very quickly. And this was just another one of those misjudgment that the American government has committed in history and even more recently. And I'm not going to go there. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the, the best predictor of the future is always a study of history. And oh, you bet. It, and it's it's amazing watching world leaders. I won't zero anyone out either, but people just not taking a few minutes to at least look at history and, and even and not even ancient history. We're talking recent history. I mean, oh, yeah. you know, I, I become a, an avid reader because I feel like a moron that I don't know more. I mean, that's why you're, you're that's why your book isn't just a book on KGB spying. It's a history. It's a history lesson. It's a phenomenal one. It, it, it's it yeah. gives a, a, just a deeper understanding of a time period that wasn't all that long ago. And I found it exceptionally intriguing. That's why it, it start it, to me. It's an amazing memoir of your of your background, as well as, you know, having, you know, my entire career was mostly against uh, the Russians, you know, and, and specifically the GRU and then the SVR. And I knew their training. I knew tradecraft and techniques and all that. And what I was really shocked about, and I had some experience working with undercover agents on the opposite side, like the 10 Russian illegals. I was involved in that case with the FBI. My behavioral team was. And so I, I, I had a good semblance of understanding. But what re really amazed me was they did an amazing job training you one-on-one -on -one to do that high-level tradecraft that I didn't really expect a, an illegal to have. I figured it would be not not as in-depth as yours was. And your language training was phenomenal. I mean, you were just also an amazing sponge. The, the What you're able to memorize and not have any pocket litter yeah. to get you trained, it was truly remarkable. So with that, I know you answered it in the book and you didn't really know then, but after a little more reflection, any idea from your standpoint why they wanted you? You know, what made that KGB officer come and recruit you into university? 
They were really looking for a Renaissance type person. There, there are two interviews that were, that were given by high-level KGB officers in the, uh, it's not the not Department of Division, the now I'm just missing out, but the, the section one that was espionage. And, yeah, and they were, they talked about the character traits they were looking for in, uh, in a candidate for, for it, to become an illegal. And there was, there were a lot, there was a lot of attention paid to quickness and mental ability, ability to make decisions on your own. And, you know, literally when I looked at, I, I collected about 10 of those, I, I fit, fit about nine, you know, bravery is one of them. You know, I didn't, I did not know that I was brave, but I'm telling people nowadays, and it was a recent brain, brain uh, flash that I had. I was a player mm-hmm. until the moment when I had responsibility for a child, I played life. So that made me fearless and fundamentally invulnerable. I had no idea. I didn't want to think about the dangers that were, uh, I was faced with. I put this all away. I was just playing life and spy. <laughs> and, and you see, the, the recruitment process took over a year so I had weekly meetings with men in the university town where I studied and then worked. And I guarantee you now that, that he, he watched me and he analyzed me and he probably wrote a bunch of reports. And, 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 then, and then I had two years of one-on-one interaction with, with another fellow, another handler. It was never a guarantee that they would send. I also showed them early on that, that I would never lie to them. Yeah, that was good. Okay, so... Because there's a couple of times where I admitted mistakes that they wouldn't have known if I hadn't told them. Yep. So you you put this all together, you know, and and I, you know, I was ideologically sound. You put this all together. I was an ideal candidate. And then we found out that I have language capabilities. So it is what it is. I I was the perfect candidate. And by the way, if they had sent somebody who who needs a boss to function that person would have failed because I had to um, improvise a lot. I, as I told you, to the advice that I gave was very often useless, like how to get the documentation to live and operate as an American. I was advised wrong. Um, choice of hotels, for instance, they gave me hotel addresses in Manhattan. They were completely not suited for who I was and how much money or how little money I had and on and on and on. So, so uh, the, the, the other thing that probably made me uh, functional, um, I had a, an anti-authoritarian streak. So I, I, I had no problem overriding commands that made no sense. All right. And I got in trouble only once. <laughs> Air literally. Air Italia. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the, the flight back to Moscow during a strike. And you said, screw that. I'm going home. <laughs> That's right. And, and the reason that I did this is because I didn't have enough uh, background to understand that I shouldn't have done this. When they told me, uh, I realized, yeah, sure. You know, the, now, now this person that the person, the name uh, that I used, whose passport I used, the passport had become unusable because now there was a record of this person flying from Italy to Moscow. And apparently these passports, uh, they were high, high quality and uh, cost a lot of money and time to make. 
I didn't know that. Have, had I known this, I would have spent another week on vacation in Rome. <laughs> yeah, it's funny having worked in New York for so long and known how Aeroflot is, you know, run by Russia and it's compromised by the both the SVR and the GRU throughout all levels. All the Dippo packages are are carried on it. So yeah, Aeroflot's the only way they can go in and out. And so you broke the rule. <laughs> I did, man. I I got hammered as soon as I met my my handler in Moscow. The first thing he said. You shouldn't have done this. And, and this guy was, he was not the kind of person who would be very critical. He was a yes man, but apparently he got hammered. Right. <laughs> so it's interesting when I was reading, you know, when I started the book off, you know, I immediately saw what I thought was probably a big reason why you were selected and successful. And it's all the traits you brought up, which is kind of interesting too, because you came from a really, really, really humble background, which made yeah. you incredibly self-reliant. Right. You know, I mean, you, I mean, you you injure your foot in camp, and it's infected. You go home, and your <laughs> and your mother says, "Walk to the doctor's office, twenty minutes away, in the middle of the night before he closes on an infected foot, and you can't get your shoes on because it's swollen so much, and, and the bandage." You know, yeah. this this is a child that has learned to rely on himself in extreme situations, which is interesting because normally when you think of cultures, societies, everything, it's it's people that have the silver spoon have these opportunities. The, the, the people that have you know been born into privilege yeah. or something, and they made an amazingly accurate choice with you and your personality because of that background, because from that point forward, from that upbringing, Everything in life was easy, <laughs> I would think. Yeah, that, you, you, you have, you, you're making a really good point. Uh, you add to that that uh, I, I uh, had to start going to the dentist early, and in those days, teeth were drilled without Novocaine, always. <laughs> so it was, it was rough. And, and one other thing that really played a role, my mother, rather than when high school came up, she put me into a boarding school. So I spent six six days, because Saturday was included, we went to school on Saturday, six days not at home, right? And so I, and then I chose university the furthest away from my house. So I rarely ever went home because it took about a half day by train and bus to get home. So I also learned, I got used to leaving. I got used to moving around. So I had no problem going to Berlin and I had no problem going to Moscow. I had no problem going to New York and I had no problem moving down to Atlanta. And if somebody told me to go to Australia tomorrow, I would go, (laughs) no problem. (laughs) You have the wanderlust, there is no doubt about it. Yes, that's a good word. (laughs) (laughs) So what's one of life's earlier challenges that you've had that you think you learned the most from that made you a better person today? Ooh, that's a question. That, that's, a, that's a new one. When you say early, up until what age are you talking about? Well, I know life is full of lots of challenges and humbling moments. You know, pick, pick one of your, you know, if you have a list of three <laughs> to four, pick okay. one of your top Well, ones. let's any let's, time period. The first one was an ice. I had to learn that that I had to play by the rules because I was sort of, I was considered a troublemaker. I was, there, there was one other bright guy in, in, in class. We were one and two, two and one, but I, he was, he was uh, a well-behaved student and I was not. 
You know, I challenge teachers in the open. I asked uncomfortable questions. And, you know, I was joking around in class. So I got a severe reprimand one time by an, in front of the entire student assembly with a threat that if I didn't change, I would be kicked out, which would have had incredibly bad implications with regard to a possible career. I would have gone to work in a factory, blah, blah, blah. So I learned to play by the rules. You know, I still had my own thoughts. <laughs> and so th that was a lesson that I had to learn. And that, that really helps you in, as, in, in your career as an agent because, you, you know, you're operating in uh, circles where they have rules that are not yours. You, you, you need to, like, find out what they are so you can fit in. I was a big one. What a great challenge it must have been, especially since you were so fiercely independent, self-reliant, oh. yet having to take instructions and, and, you know, do your deciphering, you know, every Thursday night. Do I mean, it was that must have been just drove you up a wall. But I think the other motivation that you wrote about in that humbling moment in high school was not only the threat of being expelled, but Rosie, the girl at the time, says, you better straighten up if you want me. <laughs> yeah, she she helped me and she also toughened me like emotionally. I mean, my mother started the job. She finished it. So for the longest time, I my emotions were very superficial. I yeah. had to reconnect. I had to reconnect with my emotional self. Very challenging because from what I gathered, your parents, whether by choice or by necessity, seemed you know emotionally distant just because of the circumstances of having to make you tough in order to survive in a tough world and a tough environment which didn't give you necessarily the emotional connection you're looking for, you know, and so it, it makes, it, it's a bit of a gap that you then try to seek from other people for a while until that brings things into balance. Yeah. That combined with your amazingly structured scientific mind, it's, it's, it's an amazing string of traits. So do you have any recently, like in the past five, five years or so, any quotes that you live by or any new revelations that have made a big difference in your life? It's maybe not in the past five years, but the my my faith has been strengthened. You know, as as I'm living life with my eyes open, and I'm observing and I'm watching and I'm studying. The more I take in, the more I know that I'm not an accident. Okay, and I am, and 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 the more I I do that the more I shrink to myself. So one, there was one time, the, the first person who interviewed me was a correspondent from Der Spiegel in Germany. And she called me a narcissist. No, I'm the exact opposite. I have not ever taken a selfie. Uh, <laughs> I'm just laughing at that. It's, I, I would not have, that's actually a, a term that kind of just shocked me that she used that with you as well. It's not anything I ever would have said either. <laughs> Yeah, she 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 was a little bit so so that 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 is something that I'm just like th these thoughts are with me on a, on a daily basis. It probably also has something to do that I'm getting a little closer to the end of life than I am the distance to the beginning. W one other little little rule in life that I tell everybody, I got two of them, and when I talk to young people, I tell young people, get out of the out of the house, go someplace, do something. 
And what happened in my life, I would go places, I would go to an event, and I thought I had a reason why I'm going there. And then I met people and I said, oh, my God, I'm glad I went. It happens all the time. Yeah. You, If you want to have an interesting life, you need to be active. You can't sit at home and you can't just, you know, communicate through a screen. And and lastly, this is, <laughs> this is what I learned operating in information technology. It's a generic statement that goes like this. It always takes longer and it always costs more. And it applies to everything you do. It definitely always takes longer. It's funny you mentioned that, you know, the way you see life with your eyes wide open um, now more than you did earlier. And I'm the same way. If, if a relationship crosses my path, I was like, that's interesting. I wonder what that's about. And, and you and I are a great example of that we're, with Eric Hunley. When I just, I just did an interview with Jack Schaefer because he wrote his book, the, the Truth Detector. And then literally I'm at an event up at Quantico with another friend of mine. He's speaking to the military, you know, folks that are going through a class and course. And they said, hey, do you happen to know anyone that could be a speaker for us? And I go, yes, I do. <laughs> I, I know this great guy. I think he'd be a great fit for you. And then we all get reconnected again. So it was uh, I do not take these things as random chances in life there. I always yeah. engage fully because you just they're always meant to be something, something special and unique. I would just one more example. I was last week I was introduced to, and I, at this point, I don't remember the name. We haven't spoken yet. We have exchanged emails to a fellow who was a station chief for the CIA in four different countries. Mm -hmm. And the person who introduced me, you, you would, you know, this is not the kind of guy that you want to stay close for a long time. But I gave him time and I gave him, you know, help, I helped him. I gave him some advice. And I, then I find out that he has a connection to that, that other fellow. So, so never, ever say no when somebody says hello. Yeah. And, and even, you know, so kind of bringing it back to your success as both an undercover and post that, the two greatest things in the world to, to be as a human being, I think, that creates all these opportunities for yourself and others is kindness generosity and appreciation they they go so far with everyone and everything and it always comes back in a positive way so and, uh, and if i if i can add on to yeah. that there's a phrase that i don't like that a lot of networkers use it's called paying forward hmm. that is all wrong because that means you're doing whatever you're doing in expectation you could get something back yes <laughs> you, you help others because that's what you do yeah. So my, my, I have, I have these three anchors for everything in life. My three ends goals is number one is create a good, healthy, strong relationship is number one goal of every interaction. The number two is open, honest communication, transparency, because you can, cannot have that healthy without that. And my third is exactly what you said, be an available resource for the success and prosperity of others without expectation of any reciprocity. Those are my three anchors. And you just said it exactly right. <laughs> Paying yeah. it forward is fine. If you just let go, it's not for bragging, right? It's not to you know show off to someone. It's literally, if you're going to do something, generosity, it has no expectation of reciprocity because then it's- now, That doesn't mean, that doesn't mean when you meet somebody who who could help you with something that you're working on, you, you don't acknowledge this and, mm -hmm. and you're not happy for it and you don't, you don't use that, but you don't- just screen everybody based on what they can do for you. Absolutely. <laughs> so 
kind of we actually covered a few things I wanted to cover and that one if you want to expand it all more too is like what would you tell your 20 or 25 year old self back then that you now know now that you might have had different advice for yourself don't do it <laughs> <laughs> because what I what I know now because you know no no matter how optimistic an ending there is in my book uh I I I still walk around with baggage. I mean, I get these these wild dreams. They're loss of control dreams in the context of being a spy. So, I'm arriving in a city, I don't know the name of the city. I don't I I don't know what I'm supposed to do there. I have no contact. So, so I'm total totally lost or, you know, I have no luggage and no passport and what do I do now? Then <laughs> I usually wake up. So there's baggage, and uh, I had I had problems with alcohol for for quite a while. Not you know I was a functional drinker, but you know f- what does functional mean? I was p- most likely not optimally functional. So I don't do it. Uh, uh, but people ask me, uh, would you do it again? I said it depends upon what I know. You ask me based on what I know now. I says no, absolutely not. Yeah, because you literally lived about three or four lives. <laughs> yeah, it's it's great. So you know, even as I having lived through a few interesting things in my life and career through nine eleven and Marine Corps and Naval Academy and that type of stuff. You know, I have I, I think a lot of people have maybe not a lot of people, but similar type of anxiety type dreams. L- looking up some of the definitions of things, do you think you suffer any um, form of PTSD from what you went through? No, because I. I had the the tense moments that you know about there in the book weren't life threatening. Right. They 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 were threatening but but I I had enough of a thick skin to to walk through them. Uh no PTSD I I don't believe so at all. And that's and that's from your again that tough upbringing which made you exceptionally resilient yeah. as well. Yeah. So, so, you know, you spent, spent, what was it? 10 years undercover in, in the United States. Exactly. 10, 10 years and uh, but a bit of a, maybe two months. Yep. And so, you know, a lot of people understand, you know, want to know, so how did that, how did that all end? How did it come to an end? And so at the time, unbeknownst to you, this guy, Matrokin, um, yeah. volunteers to the CIA, CIA turns him away, goes to the Brits and he actually had your name, your undercover name. And then the FBI starts their investigation, trying to figure out who Jack Barsky. Oh, and by the way, I want to ask you at the very beginning of this, and I forgot to do it. Do you prefer the name Jack Barsky or your German name? I prefer neither. Uh, I never <laughs> liked my German name. Uh, Jack Barsky is obviously stolen. I I was supposed to be Henry Van Randall. I would have liked that right. one. It has a nicer sound. Uh, to me, names are labels. Right. What's your wife call uh, you? And and the reason that that I, the FBI and I thought uh, I should retain the name Barsky because my I when when the FBI caught up with me, my family, two children and a wife and I were so integrated in society under that name, it would have been very very disruptive, for all of them and including myself. So and now now this name is, is is sort of a brand, right. So, what do your close friends call you? What's your wife call you? Love. <laughs> that's oh, they, see, and there, that's perfect. That is the perfect he, name. <laughs> she, she does call me Jack, and it's uh, like, 
<clears throat> it's when when I hear Jack from from downstairs, I better get up and go down. <laughs> <laughs> It's funny you talk about, and we're talking about the, the transition when you're under investigation by the FBI and finally they discover you. And I, I have my own flashbacks too, because I was fortunate enough when I worked in New York to resettle defectors, people that cooperating. And I understand they went through an amazing process trying to take your illegal documents and legalize them. And when they th- actually talked about bringing you across the border so they can get you re-entering and stamp it i've done that exact same thing (laughs) where you where you literally walk across the bridge and you walk back and so they can stamp the uh, i-94 for them yes so what a pain in the butt so hands off those great agents that made that process work for you because it's not easy working with ins to do all those things (laughs) and and it was not easy to to find out how to do that it 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 required i uh, a liaison that i had with the fbi who really made it uh, a, a task that, that that he had to fulfill to 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 get me that documentation? There wasn't a whole lot of uh, glory in, in it for him. He found eventually somebody at headquarters who who knew how to do it, and from then on, it, it went relatively smooth, except at the end when I applied for citizenship. They made me go through the. the I already had a green card, okay, so. Mm-hmm. Uh, they made me go through the official process. In other words, just do like everybody else does. And there was an interview. And the interviewer asked me, are you still the, do you still have German citizenship? And I answered, I don't know. <laughs> I wasn't prepared <laughs> for that. So, and I think what he did, he put my application on the side. And for two years, the FBI had no idea what 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 happened to the application. <laughs> You're bringing back so many memories. I I because again, everything you know, going back to some of the things we've been talking about, everything in life comes down to good, healthy relationships. Bureaucracies don't solve problems; relationships do. Yeah. <laughs> and I had to do the same thing so many times. Matter of fact, my my Jedi Master that I learned from it was his relationships that I picked up and carried the torch with. You know, after he retired, because doing things like this. For great people like you, it is a daily challenge and there's no right way or wrong way. There's just a way and it's through a relationship. Mm-hmm. So I guess I know the answer to this, but I'll ask it anyway. Are you Were you relieved when the FBI finally came, pulled you over as you go through the toll gate? The state trooper pulls you over and, uh, and you finally meet the FBI guy that unbeknownst to you had been investigating you a long time. Was it relief? Eventually, was it relief? I know it was initial fear. No, f- fear... It's a strong word. It was concern. Relieved I was not right away, but I was fundamentally, I was worried <clears throat> more about my kids and my wife, because if, if I go to jail, which I had been mentally prepared for, and of course, you know, up, I'm, I'm a, the, an eternal optimist, and that optimism has been strengthened over time because most of the time it was justified. So I, w- I was optimistic that I would do okay in jail. Blech. So, but I, I was. <laughs> <laughs> I have never heard anyone say that. But I spent I spent two years in Moscow in near isolation. The only contact I had with people were my 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 trainers, my handlers, and other than that, I was all by myself. 
I knew how to be by myself. And so I figured I extended this to Jay. I don't that was probably wrong, but it doesn't matter. So I was I was <clears throat> really concerned that uh, you know my kids would wind up wardens of the state and the wife who had acquired citizenship because of me sponsoring her. So it was illegal. So <clears throat> and so for I'd say two to three weeks, I constantly in when I wasn't thinking about something else, I constantly turned things over in my mind. What's going to happen? What's going to happen? What's going to happen? Until the lead agent in that case indicated that things would turn out okay. That's when the relief set in. Right. I'd, because now all of a sudden I could plan the rest of my life. And, uh, and, and, you know, it, uh, and, and I could finally get rid of all the lies because I'm fundamentally wired to be honest, honest to the bone. That's a German trait. You know, we, mm-hmm. we Germans, we just like tell you the truth, whether you want to hear it or not. <laughs> Coming from a German background. Yes. I completely understand it. The comb- combination being a German background, being from the Northeast and being an extrovert, I've never been a very good thing for this mouth and me. <laughs> <laughs> but we got that in common. No doubt. <laughs> I, I changed jobs. Uh, in corporate five times and uh, four times I came in as a manager. And, and so the, the initial feedback, I got a breath of fresh air because I told him what I saw. And then that fresh air got a bit stale and eventually it became a stink because I also didn't hold back criticizing the folks who thought initially that I was a breath of fresh air. So I'm not a politician. Right. I never was. I could, I couldn't play the game to, to that extent. Yep, no doubt. So uh, kind of a parting question. I love this kind of question just because uh, a lot of times people get asked things they don't really care about or want to talk about. But so what is one thing you wish you're asked more when on a podcast or things that you think is important item to share? If you could leave, you know, people with a lasting impression of what's important in you in your life? Well, it is applicable to where we are in this world today. Uh, and I get this asked occasionally, what's my opinion with, with what's going on in the United States right now, based on the experience that I've had in life, growing up under socialism, communism, understanding how, how one can be drawn in, into this idea, and also understanding that the history of what's of every attempt that was made that could have been initially quite honest and sincere to build a better society based on collectivism has always wound up in dictatorships. And whoever thinks that would be different in this country is wrong. Yep, that's why I was I was curious of whether whether you'd go there or not, but I completely agree. And I figured you would be one of those few people in the world that have actually experienced that. And uh, I was curious what you thought about it. So thank you for sharing that. Sure. All right. So with that, Jack, I'm gonna conclude our our first chat. Maybe we'll have a couple more because there is so much to, to go through. I want to thank you for writing this. I want to thank you for sharing your amazing story. And folks listening, get that book, Deep Undercover by Jack Barsky. 
It is not just a spy novel. It is a book on resiliency and self-reliance and how to move forward in life when faced with so many challenges like you can't even imagine. So I think it's a great lesson in keeping optimistic. Like Jack said, you know, the fact that he had a plan that he thought he'd do all right in prison. That's talk. That's <laughs> what I call it, supreme optimism. So anyway, <laughs> tuning in for more. And thanks, Jack. Thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Forged by Trust. If you enjoyed the show, took away a few new tools, I hope you will leave a great review of the show to show your support. If you're interested in more information about how to forge your own trust-building strategies, please visit my website at www.peopleformula.com. You can also follow me on my social media sites included in the show notes. Thank you, and I'm looking forward to seeing you on the next episode of Forged by Trust.